For Tuesday, June 15th, 2021, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the coronavirus pandemic has highlighted issues that have long complicated the fight against another virus, HIV. Both exposed the underlying inequities in our society. They exposed the inadequacy of our public health and healthcare infrastructures. Dr. Melanie Thompson, who's been studying HIV and caring for patients for decades in Atlanta, joins me to discuss what the COVID-19 pandemic can show us about fighting HIV. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. The COVID-19 pandemic can teach us a few things about the decades-long fight against HIV. So says Dr. Melanie Thompson. She's been studying HIV and caring for patients for decades in Atlanta. She's with me now to discuss the two viruses, some of the parallels between the two outbreaks, and what we can learn from it all. Melanie, thanks for talking with me. Well, thank you, Sam. I'm really very happy to be here. As someone uh, with your years and years of experience working with HIV, this infectious disease, what did you think uh, when you first heard about covid When we became aware that COVID was rapidly spreading around the world and in in the United States, I think many of us had the sense that COVID was going to be different than HIV. It's a very different virus, and we can talk about that, but that it was really going to require a huge marshalling of public health and healthcare infrastructure that maybe we weren't ready to deliver. And why was that the case? Did your experience working with HIV kind of inform that opinion? Well, you know, HIV and COVID, uh, or actually SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID infection, have some similarities, but they're very different. How the viruses are spread is really important because it dictates what we can do to stop the spread in the absence of a vaccine. And so the virus that causes COVID is acquired primarily by airborne or droplet transmission. And SARS-CoV-2 was a new virus. So there was no natural immunity to this virus around the world. 
And if people are not immune, then anyone within a few feet of proximity to someone with an active COVID infection can become infected. COVID is an equal opportunity infection in that way. So now HIV is not transmitted by breathing or coughing or touching. HIV is only transmitted by exposure to bodily fluids that contain HIV. So sexual exposure, exposure to contaminated needles, or in the early days before the blood supply was safe, transfusion of blood products. And in terms of natural immunity, we think that only a minuscule proportion of the whole population has a rare genetic change that makes them immune to HIV infection. So other than those few individuals, HIV also is an equal opportunity virus in that anyone can be infected, but only through these specific routes. What kind of parallels have you seen between the way that HIV in its early days spread, the attention paid to it, and and maybe what we've seen with uh, SARS-CoV-2 over the last 18 months? You know, on a positive front, we now know how to contain both COVID and HIV. Because of the decades-long investment in HIV science and research, we laid the groundwork for very rapid development of diagnostics to detect SARS-CoV-2. Likewise, the nationwide clinical trial infrastructure that we built for HIV rapidly transformed to become the backbone of the system that was needed to quickly implement and enroll clinical trials for COVID vaccines and treatments. And and also importantly, much of the HIV medical workforce was quickly transferred to the fight against COVID and similar with HIV epidemiology. And, And this was great for the response to COVID, not so great for the battle against HIV. So, you know, I think there are those parallels, but to me, the most important parallel between COVID and HIV is that both exposed the underlying inequities and injustice in our society. They exposed the inadequacy of our public health and healthcare infrastructures. And they also exposed that misinformation, politics and ideology and hate can derail even our most positive scientific developments. Let's talk about those disparities, the way that both of these viruses um, exposed inequities, inefficiencies, blind spots in our health system. To discuss either of these pandemics, we have to recognize that Black, Latinx, Indigenous populations are subject to higher levels of poverty, less access to health care, and much more stigma and discrimination, to to name a few inequities. Um, And for African Americans, this is a downstream effect of the kind of racism that has been baked into our country since slavery. And so the residuals are particularly marked in the South. We tend to have a poorer public health infrastructure to begin with, But if you look at maps of poverty, educational attainment, obesity, they look very similar to the maps of HIV and actually to the COVID vaccination rate maps. 
and eight of the bottom 10 states for COVID vaccination are in the South. And if you look at rates of HIV infection, Georgia has the highest rate of new HIV diagnoses in the country, followed by a number of Southern states. And so um, the South has become this endemic area for COVID, but also the hotspot for HIV in our country. And then it turns out that diseases like COVID and HIV or infections like SARS-CoV-2 and HIV actually exploit these differences. So it is the people who have more pre-existing conditions do worse with COVID. In the setting of HIV, these folks have more complications And so this entire milieu plays out the way COVID and HIV have settled in Southern areas. And and, and Melanie, I want to ask too about the misinformation, the lack of understanding in the early days of each of these pandemics, just truly about how this virus works, how it's spread, who it infects. I, I would imagine that that was much like the early days of the HIV pandemic. The growth in knowledge about the virus for SARS-CoV-2 was HIV on steroids. We learned so much, so much faster. And remember, we recently passed the 40th anniversary of the publication of the first cases of AIDS in the United States. And so we've been working at this HIV pandemic for decades And as I mentioned, we laid the ground for a lot of the scientific um, developments that have happened in terms of COVID. And yet, in the beginning of both epidemics, they were subject to politicization that really set up an unequal response to the epidemics. For HIV, Um, It was a while before people understood how HIV was transmitted, and so they were afraid to touch someone with HIV or be around them. Uh, And of course, HIV was uniformly fatal. And the truth is that even today, we have the vestiges of the stigma for people living with HIV. So the more vulnerable populations, young, black, gay, and bisexual men, uh, transgender populations are much more likely to experience the kind of stigma and discrimination that keeps them from getting tested, that keeps them from getting into care. And it's set up a situation in which stigma and discrimination really are continuing to drive the HIV epidemic, not only here, but around the world. Now, the situation with COVID is similar but different. How so? So we know that certain populations have been stigmatized about COVID, um, particularly the Asian American populations who are, in essence, blamed for the origin of the virus in a way that is nothing but political and you know, certainly has um, no truth in terms of science. Uh, But Asian Americans have been subject to hate uh, and beatings uh, and and discrimination on all levels. 
you know, I, I think the ideology of certain populations about COVID has really driven the differences in the COVID pandemic as well, because there are groups who, first of all, don't believe that COVID is real. Um, secondly, have all sorts of conspiratorial thoughts about the vaccine. Um, and a lot of this was driven by sheer politics coming down from the White House. You know, much as Reagan wouldn't say HIV or AIDS throughout most of his presidency, the Trump presidency actually exploited for political gain the COVID pandemic. So, you know, we have a situation now in which, along with the ages-old distrust of medical care and vaccines in some populations, we have this whole other layer of ideology um, that's not based on facts or science. So um, COVID is a, a complex pandemic in that way, uh, but, it, but it definitely uh, does draw upon some of the same uh, themes of stigma and discrimination, misinformation that we have seen throughout the decades in HIV. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Dr. Melanie Thompson. She's an HIV researcher and physician in Atlanta about what the fight against COVID-19 can show us about the fight against HIV. I'm wondering, uh, Melanie, if you think that there is anything that the kind of anxiety and real fear I think a lot of people have felt over the last year about COVID might reflect on people's understanding of HIV, this virus that has been, you know, circulating and, and scaring certain populations, uh, you know, for, for decades. Is having lived through the current time, do you think that's going to give people any kind of more just kind of visceral understanding about, um, you know, what it's like to be uh, to, to live in fear of, of HIV? I'm not sure about that. The fear that people had about COVID was really not parallel to the kind of fear that people had about HIV in the population as a whole. Now, if you think about the fear that people have about HIV within the populations that were most affected, particularly in the early days, I think there's some parallel there. But the fear that most people experienced in terms of COVID was in many ways a realistic fear because as we recognized that this virus was airborne, I think people really understood how easy it was to get infected and not know it. And I think that ability to get infected and not know it really created a huge amount of fear in the population. The mass hospitalizations and deaths and horror stories that were going on really drove a lot of fear also. In terms of the current day, the parallels are not very strong with HIV. I mean, what we have to recognize now is that um, for example, many young people with HIV don't really have the same kind of fear about getting infected. 
HIV and SARS-CoV-2 are different in the sense that SARS-CoV-2 is an acute infection. Uh, people get over it. They don't harbor the virus in their bodies. And even though they may have long COVID, they're not infectious anymore. HIV is a lifelong infection. We were able to develop, through science and research, extremely effective treatments for HIV that have turned HIV into a condition that can be managed as a chronic condition for the lifespan. And young people coming along today only know that if you get HIV, you take a pill, maybe just one pill a day, and you're good. Now, you know, this is a misunderstanding about HIV, but, but many people don't see it as a deadly disease in the same way that they see COVID. I feel like we're at a little bit of a divergence point with this pandemic where you've got this maybe separation between people who are vaccinated and people who aren't, populations in which, you know, SARS-CoV-2 infection is not maybe going to be something that they're concerned about. Um, do, do you see parallels there? I, I wonder if, you know, we're, we're entering a phase where just the kind of public attention is waning in the way that I would imagine it has in, in a lot of ways with HIV over time. And what do you think that might do to the populations at risk? In terms of COVID, I think you're right. People who are vaccinated are now beginning to experience the ability to get back to certain parts of their lives. And yet the pandemic is not under control. And if you look at the differences from state to state in COVID vaccination rates, what you see is that some places are doing extremely well and other places are doing very poorly. Many of the lowest rates are, are in the South. And so this freedom and ability to go back to your life is not being equally enjoyed by all populations. In terms of HIV, I think we also have two countries. We have people who are living near normal lifespans and they're not transmitting HIV to other people because we know that suppressing the virus with medicines prevents HIV transmission. We also know that taking an HIV medication to prevent HIV infection is highly effective. We call that pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP. And so these developments have really led some states to say that they believe they can eliminate their HIV epidemics by 2030 or even 2025. And yet, when you look at where HIV lives now, the highest rates are not in California or New York. They're in the South. And here's where we see that people with HIV are much less likely to have suppressed virus. They're much less likely to be diagnosed, to be in care. And this is a mix of not only access to health care. Thankfully, we have the Ryan White program, a federal program that provides HIV treatment to all people with HIV, regardless of their ability to pay. So, so even though treatment is theoretically accessible, really the story of HIV in the South is 
the story of poor housing, inadequate transportation, but also a heavy dose of stigma and discrimination. So we really have two countries when you look at the HIV epidemic, and we are developing two countries when you look at the COVID pandemic. What do you hope we as a a country uh, have maybe learned in the last year from dealing with COVID-19 that might be applied to HIV? Where do things go from here? And do you think some of the lessons from COVID will potentially uh, have an impact on, on the fight against HIV? Well, I hope some of the positive lessons will. And to me, one of the things we have learned is that we can do the impossible if there is political will and funding to do it. On the other hand, we have a huge job ahead of us to fight these societal inequities, which are really fundamentally rooted in injustice. And we need to be sure that all of our systems have equity built into them. We're not going to solve the HIV pandemic until we really make a commitment to equity. So we really have to go beyond the idea that um, providing drugs to people will end the HIV pandemic. I think we have to recognize that the same kinds of societal inequities that COVID has unmasked are the inequities we've been living with for decades with HIV, so that none of this is surprising to us. And yet, it is an opportunity. It does open a door to to really jog the national awareness and conscience that if we want health care to be available to people in this country. If we want everybody to enjoy the benefits of our democracy, we're going to have to do things differently. So it's not an easy job, but I do think now is the time to do it. I am optimistic that really now more than ever, as we we begin to emerge in this pandemic, we, we can begin to apply some of the things we've learned, both from COVID and from HIV. to to level the playing field, not only for those two conditions, but, but also for the health of all Americans in general. Dr. Melanie Thompson is an HIV researcher and physician in Atlanta. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. 
You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.